Well, welcome to another edition of Gospel Gains, where the goal each week is to give you, the student leaders in our campus fellowships, some tips and tidbits for ministry fitness. My name is Mark Fodale, and I'm privileged to serve as your host on this podcast. You know, the past two weeks on Gospel Gains, we have considered what I call um, the big picture. So we, we talked about the role of academic faithfulness as it relates to ministry fruitfulness in the lives of student leaders. And if you remember, in doing so, we spotlighted the labors of and some lessons for both the underworkers and the overworkers among us. But on today's episode of Gospel Gains, we're going to pivot from the big picture and scale down to the small event. That's right. Today, we're going to zero in on a very practical command from the scriptures that gives us, as leaders, a compelling vision as well as a helpful blueprint for a seemingly small, often overlooked, yet biblically significant gospel event in our lives that happens multiple times each and every day. What is it? Well, today I'd like to talk about entering a room. You heard me right, walking into a room. You and I have done it countless times already this week, and we will, assuming you're listening in before heading off to bed, do it countless times before today is done. We will enter a room. But the event of entering a room that I want to specifically focus on is, you probably guessed it, entering a room on campus where gospel events are taking place. So picture it with me. It's the night of the DCF meeting, and you're about to enter the room where the meeting is being held. At that moment, consider this. How does the gospel inform and transform? what you do, and how you do it, and why you do it. Or you're about to enter a room where a Bible study is taking place, or or a leadership team meeting, or a discipleship conversation, or even when you enter church on Sundays. How does the gospel inform and transform what you do, why you do it, and how you do it? Now, You might be thinking, seriously, Mark? Really? I mean, I know the gospel informs and impacts the big events in life, but uh, entering a room? As we used to say in my generation, yo, Mark, you pulling my leg or something? And my answer to you, friend, would be, nope, no leg pulling here. Not at all. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his spirit is so profound and so pervasive in our lives that we shouldn't at all be surprised that it touches even the tiniest corners and the most common habits of our everyday life. And not only should we not be surprised, we should expect it. And friends, we should welcome it and we should embrace it. I mean, wasn't it the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, even whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God? Eating, drinking, entering a room, 
all to the glory of God. Well, let's let's press in on this. Now, to frame and inform our discussion, I'd love for us to think through a verse. That's right, one verse. It's tucked away at the end of Romans, so you may have missed it. I know I did until a podcast I was listening to recently brought it to the forefront. That verse is Romans 15, 7. Here it is. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me read that again. It's Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, there are, there are three movements or parts all in that one verse. There's the command, the example, and the reason. The command, welcome one another. The example of the model, as Christ has welcomed you. And the, the reason Paul gives for the glory of God. So let's just think through each of these. First, the command, welcome one another. First, let's notice the obvious. Romans 15, 7 is a command. And as we all know, a command in the Bible tells us what we are commanded to do by the Spirit of God. So, listen, in a sense, it doesn't really matter if welcoming others is our particular interest or our desire or our inclination or our preference or our habit or our personality. As we enter a room, the command to all of us is clear. Welcome one another. Notice while that Paul doesn't write, hey, wait until you are welcomed until you welcome one another. No, no, sorry. He wrote, welcome one another. Notice he didn't encourage the Roman church to immediately make a beeline for their friends when they enter a room or to get busy about the details or to search for the best seat in the house. Not at all. He wrote, welcome one another. Whoever is there, welcome them. Now, other versions of that English word that's translated in the ESV as welcome help flesh out its meaning. Other versions say, take in, receive, accept, take to myself. You know, these words help us to see that, at least in Paul's mind, a welcome was more than what we may typically think of in our culture. You see, for us, a welcome is simply saying hi or hey, maybe, how you doing? For us in our cultural moment, simply greeting someone is the same as welcoming them, right? Well, not according to this verse. A welcome is more than a simple nod or a mumbled hello. It's moving toward others with the intent of taking them in. Not necessarily for all time or for all evening or all meeting, but taking them into your heart and into your attention in and for that moment. What does this mean? Well, simply this, friends. Rather than entering a room thinking, here I am, this verse encourages us, it even commands us to enter a room thinking, there you are. It's placing us in the radical position of being other-centered. It's commanding us to bring others in rather than to stand apart. 
It's a spirit-led action of moving toward others rather than hanging back from others. I mean, you know what it is? It's seeing and embracing the reality that the most important part of the room that you and I are entering is not the event taking place, but the people that God has placed in it. It means that welcoming them is at that moment far more important than you or I feeling or being welcomed. And friends, as leaders, we can set the tone and the example for this in our fellowships. So, there's the command. It's simple, it's profound. I think it's life-changing. Welcome one another. Now, if you notice in Romans 15, 7, Paul then follows that command with an example. And I tell you, here's where it gets very helpful and, let's be honest, very uncomfortable. This is what he writes. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Wow. (laughs) Let's stop and consider for a moment. How did our Lord Jesus Christ welcome us? Oh, my. I mean, where do you begin? Jesus took the initiative. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you or I to welcome him before he drew us in. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus never seemed distracted or too busy for others. He always seemed to have time to welcome others in. Remember how in Mark chapter 10, he showed attention to a blind beggar by the side of the road in Jericho, whom everyone was yelling at, be quiet. Remember in Luke 19, when he called out to Zacchaeus, who was nestled in the branches of a sycamore tree, and then invited himself to stay with him in his house. Listen, friends, Jesus is so extravagant in his favor and his welcome. Think of all the people he welcomed in who knew an eye would have been well tempted to overlook or ignore or avoid the blind, the lame, the needy, the social outcasts, the spiritually marginalized. And Jesus not only did that then, he does that every day for you and for me, not just once, but time and time and time again. In fact, Jesus will never stop welcoming us in until he welcomes us home to glory. And even then, I think he'll keep doing it. Tell you what a savior we have in Jesus, what a friend, each and every day without fail. And here's, friends, the beauty and the shock of the gospel. We never have to qualify for his welcoming affection. It was bought and paid for by his work on the cross. You see, the gospel answers a key question, and it's this. How can you and I welcome others in in a way that displays gospel affection? How can we give ourselves to others, not only when we are leading a meeting in the room, but even when we enter it? How can we conquer our inclination to be about tasks and to overlook people? How can we avoid always moving first toward those with whom we feel liked and accepted? How can we take the initiative in being warm and gracious and kind to all who God brings? I mean, here's the answer. By resting on the reality that what you and I are called to do has already been done to us and is even now being done for us by Christ. You see, we really can love like Jesus loved and welcome as Jesus welcomed. Because he first loved us, we can, by faith, obey the command to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. 
All right, so we did the command, welcome one another. We talked through the example and the power as Christ welcomed you. Finally, let's close up. Let's look at the goal. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Here it is, for the glory of God. Let's end with this. Now, first, let's note that Romans 15, 7 begins with a therefore, and we all know what to do with a therefore. That's right, we ask what it's there for. And a therefore reminds us to look at the larger context. So it's important to realize the verses just before this in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, where Paul wrote, Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, did you catch that? In the immediate context of the command to welcome one another, Paul is urging the believers in Rome to so pray and live with unity and oneness with the purposes of Jesus Christ that they would, with one voice, glorify God. And friends, that that one voice, in the context at least of Romans 15, is not first displayed in our singing. Though singing is really good. Or in our praying. Though praying is really good. Paul's first application of his prayer for this one voice to glorify God the Father is this. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I tell you, that's amazing. As we welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed us, we are in effect joining voices with one another in imitating Christ as he welcomed his people, and thus we are giving God much, much glory. Tell you how profoundly simple. God gains much glory as we image Jesus, even in the simple act of a warm welcome. So friends, today, this week, as you enter a room, whether it be at at work or at home or on campus or in church, remember how Jesus welcomed you and give glory to God by welcoming one another. You know, as I think back over the years, I can honestly say that the grace of the gospel has been deeply ministered to me when, as an outsider or a newcomer, I walked into a room and someone came up to me and said, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, what's your name? I tell you what, do you want to sit with me? You know, it's been rare, but when it has happened, it has been so, so refreshing. So there it is, friends. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And may God give us all gospel grace to love others as Jesus himself has loved us. 